Bakit mayaman ang Pilipinas subalit mahirap ang Pilipinong mamamayan? Bakit sa kairaming programang naisulong, paatras pa rin ang pag-unlad ng bayan? Hello mga kaupod! In this episode of Kaupod si Od, we will see how a way to answer these questions is to examine politics at the local level. We will do so by looking at it through the context of the tearings of power of fat clans, particularly interest capture of dynastic elites in Muslim Mindanao. How does elite persistence affect the Bangsamoro region? How do the most dominant political players in the field or the clans practice interest capture? Who are the several actors who influence this nature? These questions will be answered as we continue on this discussion. But first, let's start off with a brief overview of the Bangsamoro Autonomous Region in Muslim Mindanao or the BARM. Under the rule of law, BARM has its supervisory capacity on the enforcement of administrative laws over agencies such as education, agriculture, health, and housing, and as well as regulatory powers over land reclassification. Cultural autonomy is enhanced in this region. However, it is hampered by the lack of resources and funding in the provinces. Nevertheless, The BARM has served as a major bargaining arena of traditional Muslim political clans vis-a-vis the national government, allowing them to consolidate state resources. As the Bangsamoro region exists with a multiplicity of power centers, a wide array of power holders, brokers, and even gatekeepers are offered. These include local political elites, traditional religious leaders, warlords, landlords, and insurgent or terrorist groups. These players in the political arena may or may not have overlapping sources of power, meaning these actors exercise authority as both formal and informal leaders. Let us now proceed to what scholars call the hybrid regimes. Hybrid regimes are systems that exist with several power centers that highlight the dominance of warlord politicians. In the Bangsamoro, the largest portion of formal and informal power is held as a monopoly by them. A manifestation of the formal and informal dichotomy in the Bangsamoro is with the existence of strongmen. Strongmen are not only politicians and landed elites, but are also Datu and Sultan by affinity and right in their traditional domains. These local strongmen emerge after years of violent feuding between electoral alliances, many of them cultivating ties with the rebel movements in the area. As they begin to dominate local politics starting from the barangay level, their coercive capacity starts to become gradually absorbed and further legitimized by the state. As a consequence, these strongmen have the combined military, political, and economic power in their hands. Now you see the existence of hybrid regimes result to the political economy of the region being a violent mix between an expanding underground economy and corruption in the political realm. It is reflected by the forces that bind the Muslim Mindanao with the central government of the Republic of the Philippines. Formal state institutions are often subjected to mismanagement, 
and are too slow and weak to function as an effective facilitator of conflict management in war-ridden areas in the region. This kind of political economy is often highly tolerated in exchange for delivering votes to the present administration's coalition in the national elections, even if it leads to the loss of revenues and the decline of legitimacy in the local government level. As a result, a cycle of violence drives the political-economic forces in the region to embed all the more exclusionary structures that exist there. Eventually, this further aggravates the unequal access to natural resources and as well as discrimination and economic neglect. Clan politics remains very strong as the democratic system and governance legitimizes their tendencies for power-grabbing and subjecting the government agencies into mismanagement and corruption. According to the respondents from the study of Cruiser conducted in 2005, the Commission on Elections in Muslim Mindanao is known to be corrupt and accepts bribes during elections. Clans also engage in relations with insurgent groups sustaining their presence in the region and in turn allowing the former to justify the lack of security governance and the spending of internal revenue allotment or ERA for counterinsurgency and intelligence measures. Control over political office also means control over government-to-government transactions, revenues from oil and gas reserves, reconstruction benefits, and government infrastructure, particularly the expenditure of their territories era. A government with no visibility and poor delivery of goods that are public in character, such as basic social services, is evident in the political economy of BARM. Essentially, there is a dysfunctional government bureaucracy in most places in the Bangsamoro. Municipal halls are left deserted in areas in the province of Maguindanao. The citizens of these localities are unable to receive social services from their local government units and encounter difficulties in obtaining public documents. This typical scenario spreads across the region and is one of the major causes of the detrimental effects on the welfare of the poor in Barm. Adding up to the several actors that also participate and coexist in a symbiotic relationship with the political elites in Muslim Mindanao are the civil society organizations and the non-governmental organizations. In terms of the involvement of NGOs and CSOs, the Philippines is actually a host for diverse types of non-governmental organizations and civil society organizations that serve a wide range of functions such as programs related to socio-economic development, peacekeeping and conflict resolutions, emergency response, political reforms and policy amendments, and the articulation of the concerns of the communities. These NGOs and CSOs source their authority from the notion that the masses are in charge of their democracy, accountability, and transparency. Power sharing is effective in the region because of a strong core of moderates among political elites and the civil society coexisting within the region. With the danger faced by peace-building actors, these NGOs learn to engage in intricate relationships with powerful clans and warlords. Even if NGOs are autonomous entities, 
that perform peace-building obligations, they are compelled to engage with informal institutions and implement alternative conflict resolution approaches. NGOs in Mindanao are conscious of the intricacy of power relations in war-ridden zones. Therefore, they tolerate local power players who meddle with their projects. They have grown accustomed to this kind of practice and are more concerned about building cooperative relations with political elites. This kind of harmonious relationship in turn provides them with protection from violence and the permission to conduct peace operations in clan territories or zones marred with armed conflict. Another arena where clans play crucial roles is in conflict zones, as agents of violence. Corruption is essentially employed by them so that they can rely on both the guerrilla and military forces. Oftentimes, formal and informal institutions are infiltrated with clan members resulting in private armies that are legitimized through state uniforms standing de facto in the service of political families. The prevailing insurgencies in Mindanao justify the clans to argue for their need to acquire and maintain private armies or the expansion of auxiliary forces that they co-opt for their usage. The corrosive power accumulated by warlords proved to be detrimental to the advancement of democracy and peace in Mindanao. Clans purportedly have complex ties with the formal sphere and derive their authority and legitimacy from the state as embodied by local executives. At the same time, formal procedures exhibit informality as they are geared towards resolving disputes through interventions from external parties and personal influences. As the local executive maintains its high degree of control over state-sanctioned means of violence, state institutions retain their capacity to be a vital source of coercive power. Let us now talk about the patronage networks and the culture of clientelism in the Bangsamoro. Clans actually enjoy a political hegemony found on almost all facets of the political sphere, as politicians, appointees as local administrators or national bureaucracies, members of the state forces, security sector, and also in non-state armed units. They entrench their power through politicizing state security bodies and installing members of their family in relevant political positions so that in the long run, they can resort to controlling the units among themselves. Clan members in Muslim Mindanao occupy positions in the local government and simply rotate through them. Aside from holding positions in the government, they also belong to clans who own land and commercial establishments. Traditional landed elites engage in agricultural business ventures like palm oil and banana production and also serve as exclusive distributors of big commercial brands. With patronage politics and the clientelistic culture in the Bangsamoro, these politicians can employ laborers who constitute a large portion of their vote bank and political machinery during elections. As a form of exchange, these people are incorporated into the patronage networks of the politicians who give them state funding and numerous favors. Notably, 
Local executives are usually a vital source of coercive power and legitimacy, and hybrid mechanisms that allow them to exhibit a high degree of informality where amicable settlements are practiced and personal influence is highly prevalent. One major arena in the political realm where political elites manifest themselves and assert their power is on conflict management. Political elites contribute to the dynamics of conflict resolution and peace operations in Mindanao. They're considered as the biggest power players, existing as either bosses or strongmen who exercise their control over the divergent nodes of power with varied intensity, determining political security arrangements in the Bangsamoro. Political elites have legal and extra-legal political resources at their disposal, as they have to access to both government resources and their private armies who realize their interests and preserve their power. The security bodies often advance their personal interests and become a source of coercion, thus nullifying the conflict management efforts of the national government. The engrossment of clans with counterinsurgency can impede the initiatives for conflict management due to the fact that they also have direct and indirect involvement with rebel groups. Besides, conflict settlements in areas vary according to how the Peace and Order Council are willing to utilize state resources as expenditure to appease conflicts and in several instances as compensation for victims of clan feuding popularly known as blood money. More importantly, local executives exercise policing power which encompasses a high degree of control over the means of coercion and violence as a pattern to the American colonial imprint. Typically, the strong policing power of local executives involves acquiring private armies while at the same time extending their influence over state-sanctioned means of violence like control over police and paramilitary forces who operate within their territory. Local warlords wield their power because of the guns, goons, and gold granted to them by the national government. Warlords who engage in electoral competitions acquire weapons and artillery to combat insurgency, while some capture state forces to protect their involvement in illicit activities like drugs, gun-running syndicates, and illegal gambling. In 2010, Lara exposed the relations of clans in lucrative businesses related to drug and gun smuggling in Southeast Asia, which, according to him, is a new source of political economic power that justifies the resilience of warlord clans. The conflicts make way for the growth of underground economies marked by the proliferation of unlicensed firearms, illegal drugs, and control over small-scale illegal mining and quarrying, all providing profiteering ventures for local clans. A subtler line of political violence stems from illegal transactions of groups who specialize in the illegal quarrying of raw materials. Specifically, illegal logging stands as one of the major sources of income from which elites profit from. Political violence in the region results in numerous casualties, damages to the local economy, destruction of properties, displacement of communities, fear and insecurity. The causes vary from petty offenses up to more serious crimes, political rivalries, and land disputes. 
A political climate of insecurity and distrust is often a result of the series of killings and land grabbing as part of the violent feuding and the power struggle among clans. It is common in small-scale communities having clans and kinship networks as the main sources of power and with weak state authority and legitimacy. In areas where effective state control is absent, there is decentralization in law enforcement and security provision. Without a strong central source of authority, the means of coercion are more dispersed, with the local population usually practicing oversight mechanisms and social control on their own. Given the setup, responsibility in security provision and governance are more likely facilitated along kinship lines. Let us now proceed to the final part of this discussion, the failure of democratic institutions and the proliferation of elite dominance throughout the region. Through the course of atrocities in Muslim Mindanao, a growing observation is that armed confrontations are just a minor part of a bigger scheme of violence to attain control over the totality of the political economy. In line with this, Warlord politics proved to be significant since it is an ultimately coercive form of electoral competition often anchored on kinship networks. Exceptionally, warlordism in the Muslim Mindanao setting interacts in a highly complicated manner, one which involves political violence in the form of armed struggle for independence. A complex political ecology is therefore created as violent conflicts play out between clans and wherein MNLF and MILF leaders deploy coercive authority and capacity for violence through securing resources or political office among localized struggles. The loyalty of clans is situated on the interests of their family and the agents of interest of the Muslims and their class. As much as possible, they aim to be in control of the territories and the people in their region. In this manner, they can safeguard their economic and political interests and ensure the loyalty of those who are tied with them. The clan's ability to control both the formal and aspect of the ARMM government and the informal economy in the region includes political violence associated with their traditional control over land. The IRA received by the region comprises the bulk of funds under the absolute control of clans, with government consumption expenditures in the ARMM growing at a more rapid rate than the rest of Mindanao combined, it is evident that whoever controls the state corners this pool of funds. The existence of warlords and landlords greatly make up the national oligarchy, and they are the ones extending the influence over state policies through channels from the local government administration up to the Philippine legislature. The elite persistence in political arenas can affect the reformation of economic institutions that are disproportionately beneficial to them. Power elites use political dynasties for easier navigation of regimes or parties through a succession of leadership positions. Elites are given ready access to patronage resources which are needed to build a large following, thus making the government system of the country very patronage-oriented.
the kind of framework followed by the patron client ties in the Philippine political landscape fails to give enough attention to the role of coercion, violence, and local monopolies of power in both the electoral systems and social relations, which actually happened to the Muslim Mindanao region. Other dynasties add up their political advantage or make up for their disadvantages with the use of violence, intimidation, or coercion so that they can remove or topple down their dynastic rivals. As political dynasties continue to prevail, political equality continues to deteriorate. This kind of political monopoly causes poor socioeconomic outcomes that hinder people from airing out their needs to the government. Inequalities in democratic institutions, including income inequality, are believed to have stemmed from a very crucial factor called political inequality. Conforming with earlier studies, the study of Balisakan and Fuwa in 2004 presented that political dynasties have a positive relationship with expenditure growth and a negative association with subsequent income growth and poverty reduction. How does elite persistence affect the Bangsamoro region? How do the most dominant political players of the field or the clans practice interest capture? Who are the several actors who influence this nature? We started this episode with posing these three important questions. Along the way, we learned that elite persistence transcends in several power centers for the political elites in the Bangsamoro region to expand their power bases and hold control over both the formal and informal means of power. They engage in intricate relations with rebel groups and even sustain their presence in the region. Through this, they lobby policies that can provide them with pools of funds for counterinsurgency measures. At the same time, they get hold of the military and police forces as they justify their need for security. They also meddle with programs designed by NGOs and CSOs who participate in policy formulation and amendment processes. The Philippine government has been said to highlight the continuing failure of democratic systems to respond to the needs of the poor and excluded. This failure of the state to act on behalf of the interest of the public and its lack of responsiveness to their needs has led to the people's decrease of inducement to participate in voting and other forms of political activities. In areas where there are high levels of deviations from economic equality, Elites accentuate their political influence to generate a larger bias towards their concerns. Given this, the members of the lower class tend to decline their engagement in democratic politics. The Philippine democratic system as described by Thompson offers a convenient system where power can be rotated at the top without the effective participation of the people from below. Through this, Power can be dispersed horizontally while concentrating the same power vertically, according to Benedict Anderson. The absence of political equality in democracies hinders an inclusive economic growth with a more responsive government which is supposed to promote broader access to public goods and services and all in all, flourish human capitals through better employment opportunities and business ventures. Democracy supposedly enhances the socio-economic outcomes through the provision of basic healthcare and education and the eradication of corruption. However, that is not the case for Muslim Mindanao and that is not the case for most of the regions here in the Philippines. 
That would be all for today's episode of Kaupod Siod, the parents of power of fat clans, interest capture in Muslim Mindanao. Thank you mga kaupod. Until the next episode, this is Audrey, ang inyo kaupod, bisandiin man nga pungsod. Thank you! Bye!